Let's see if I can get it right. Uh, French, Spanish, Portuguese, English, Chinese, uh, uh, <laughs> um, Japanese. Uh, let me see if there's anything else that I'm missing. And Russian, and Russian, and Russian as well. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So I, I think that's such fantastic news because there's a lot of websites, but there's not always translation. And it's so nice to have that in your own language. So I miss Dutch, so very sadly, but uh, you know, I can always help you with some uh, translation there. <laughs> sorry for saying sorry, media presents the Per Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. You just jumped right in there. I did. I did. <laughs> you didn't and, give me like a crack of an opening there. <laughs> no, 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 no. I thought, let's let's fix this for <laughs> once and for all. So um... Let's fix this. Um, awkward opening thing that I've got going on. <laughs> so uh, can you introduce yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dr. Susan Little, the person who still after 93 episodes cannot start a podcast. <laughs> and indeed, this is number 93. Seven yeah. more to go to the magic 100. And uh, as last week, we <laughs> have an amazing guest, uh, Dr. Paolo Stiegel uh, from Canada. Um, talking about feline pain and uh, we had two more topics to talk about so we talked last week about interperitoneal local analgesia or even intertesticular local analgesia and uh, opioid free anesthesia in cats uh, which all has to do with his research but Paolo is a multifaceted person because he's also doing research in the feline grimace scale that is officially being published, validated, and now hopefully used by everybody in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to talk uh, today uh, also about dental pain. But uh, Dr. Susan, do you want to have the honors to reintroduce Paolo? <laughs> yes. So if you weren't with us on our last episode, um, we have uh, Dr. Paolo Stegall with us, who's very well known in veterinary medicine for his work on analgesia and anesthesia, um, assistant professor at University of Montreal, yay Canada. Um, and something I want to point out that we didn't mention last time, um, you have a book out with Sheila Robertson and Polly Taylor, right? On feline anesthesia and analgesia? Correct. Right, great book. So if you've not um, seen it, go track it down. It's called, uh, it, do I have the title right? Feline anesthesia and analgesia? Is that right? And pain management. Oh, and pain management. Okay, there you go. Feline anesthesia and pain management. So, um, yes, I I love I love that book. So, if you haven't seen it, people go um, go check it out. So, Carlos back with us as Yola said to talk about some new topics. So, I have a question for you right off the bat. What's a grimace scale, and why do we need one? Hi, Susan. Hi, Yola. Um, great to be back. It has been a long week waiting for this new episode. <laughs> and uh, the feline grimace scale. It's a validated tool, uh, validated, reliable, fast, easy to use, sensitive, specific <laughs> for acute pain assessment in cats based on, the on changes in facial expressions. That's what it is about. 
It was developed and validated uh, here at the University of Montreal uh, in my laboratory and also in collaboration with different in collaborators and researchers, many students and many people involved. It's a team effort. So what, what's a grimace scale though? Because that's kind of new to veterinary, many veterinarians, but grimace scales have existed before the feline grimace scale, right? Correct. So there are something called facial action units that, you know, it's how you understand how a group of muscles or deep group muscles, they, they change according to negative and positive emotions. And this would be quite complicated to quantify and to score in clinical practice, for example. So feline grimace scales, they take in consideration what we call the action units, which is a simplifying method to, to look into this uh, there's more different ways the, the facial action units, uh, the facts as we call it. So they basically, they try to use specific action units. Sometimes it's four, sometimes it's five, sometimes it's six, depending on the grimace scale in order to measure and objectively quantify pain in animals. And we were not the first one, as you mentioned, Susan, we, the, we had before the rat, uh, the mouse grimace scale, the the, the rabbit, the horse, and, and a bunch of them. And we were kind of one of the last ones uh, recently, as Yoles has said, our article has been published almost a year ago. So hasn't been that long, but uh, I believe that has, has made an impact in feline practice. Mm, very cool. So cats, cats are often last in many things. <laughs> and we've certainly been um, late coming to getting tools for pain management. So why, why is that? Why do you think that is? Um, I, well, uh, I'm not sure what the reason is, but uh, I think uh, not many people, they study cats. Yeah. Uh, like working with conscious cats, if you don't have, you know, the means of doing, uh, if you don't understand cats very well, if, if you don't apply cat-friendly practices and all that, they can be a challenge to work with. And people get frustrated very quickly. Um, I don't, I, I really enjoy them and like them, but I, I'm not exactly sure why we came last. We, we took a long time because, you know, the idea was always there in, in the back of my mind for, for many years when I saw this, this things coming out, the, the rabbit grimace scale. And, and actually, if I look back in my lectures in 2015, I was already showing facial expressions of cats, talking about, talking about it and, and thinking there's something there that should be looked at. And then finally, we, we got the right group of people and individuals and collaborators here in Montreal. And, and you know, with the right means of validating, making sure the instrument was, was appropriate for feline practice. And this is what we did here. And, and Paolo, I, I think that also used in babies because obviously babies cannot talk to us. They, you know, they scream, but you mm. never know for sure what they're screaming about uh, if they scream. Um, so, so that is pretty well established that that works in babies. And, and, and so I, I was really interested to see the work that you did in cats too, to see if we can find the same kind of correlation. Exactly. We, we've known for a long time, you know, how uh, negative emotions or even pain, it affects uh, babies and all that and how we've been using their facial expressions for better understanding 
or even patients with uh, cognitive impairment. Uh, you can use facial expressions as well to kind of uh, take a look at how they're feeling. So the facial expressions uh, it's, or, or the feline grooms scale is a similar type of work. And, and of course, we're still learning about it. You know, we've just published like maybe three or four articles uh, and there, there are a lot to come in the, in the upcoming years. Because especially, as you mentioned, we have to understand how to differentiate these negative emotions like anxiety, stress from pain using facial expressions. And that's not an easy job. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So I have a cat coming to my clinic and I want to evaluate the feline grimace scale. So what should I do? So the, I think the first thing, if you are a veterinarian and taking this opportunity, I uh, would like to invite you to, to visit the feline grimace scale website. Um, in that website, <clears throat> you can really understand in terms of what the tool is about, you know, what the process was for development, validation, um, and what to look at. So basically what we had with the feline grimace scale, we had the, the images of pain and pain-free cats that they were compared. And we always noticed that there were five features that, that were different, that we call action units actually, that were different between the two groups. So we're talking here about the ear position, the orbital tightening, the muzzle tension, the whiskers position, and the head position. And for each uh, action unit that I, I just listed for all of you, you can give a score between zero and two. So zero, if that action unit, we call it, if it's absent, so basically you have the ears facing forward, the eyes open, the muzzle relaxed, uh, the whiskers loose and curved and the head above the shoulder line. And up to the other extreme, or when you would be giving a chew for each of these action units, in the case that the ears, for example, are rotated outwards and flattened, uh, if the eyes were squinted, if the muzzle stands, the whiskers are straight, and if the head is actually below the shoulder line or kind of tilted down. And based on that, if you have five action units, uh, action units and you can give up to two for each of them, you can have a total score of 10. So what we noticed, what we found with the feline grimace scale is that once you have a score of four or higher, that probably indicates using very rigorous statistical methods that your patient is painful and you should consider administering uh, rescue analgesia. I, I hope I was able no, to <laughs> summarize this very quickly. That's great. And, and you mentioned your website. I think it's felinegrimacescale.com. Is that right? Right. Yeah. If, oh, I'm sorry if I didn't mention, maybe I just said there's a website. Yes. But yes, felinegrimacescale.com. Yes. There is uh, in seven languages, since this oh, is an wow. international audience. And we're, we're adding very soon uh, German and Italian. Wow. So what are the seven languages? <laughs> Let's see if I can get it right. Uh, French, Spanish, Portuguese, English, Chinese, uh, uh, <laughs> um, Japanese. Uh, let me see if there's <laughs> anything else that I'm missing. <laughs> and Russian, and Russian, oh, and Russian ooh. as well, yeah. Wow. Excellent, excellent. So I, I think that's such fantastic news because there's a lot of websites, but there's not always translation. And it's so nice to have that in your own language. So I miss Dutch, so very sadly, but uh, you know, I can always help you with some uh, translation there. 
Um, but I think it's, 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 it's an excellent tool. Uh, it's also very necessary because, you know, it's, it's not that there are that many validated mm -hmm. ping scoring uh, systems in cats in right. general. Most of them are made for dogs or the Ds. Uh, and, and as Dr. Susan always points out, the cat is always the last one. Um, and, um, and so this is why we're trying to make th that change too. That's why we have the podcast. So we only talk about cats here. Uh, and so we're really excited about it. So well done, Paula. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, I, and I appreciate coming from both of you cat lovers. Uh, this is appreciated. And as you mentioned, I think the, the real game changer here is that even with validated pain scoring systems, we still don't use them in clinical practice. Sometimes they are long questionnaires. Sometimes you just don't like, ah, I don't want to get that whole piece of paper and fill it out and et cetera. So I, from data that we have in the literature is less than 15% um, of clinics that, that use um, pain scoring systems. And we're talking about the UK and places that are, you know, a really high level of education. So we wanted to come to come with come up with something that you know you can use internationally because it's based on facial expressions. You don't need to read a bunch of stuff or, and all that. Uh, something really practical and something that you know provides guidance uh, to veterinarians. Hey, there's something suspicious there. You reach the score number four out of ten. You should be thinking about reevaluating your cat on court, considering uh, treating with uh, some analgesics. And you answered my next question already, which is what is the threshold level? So for a lot of the, 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 the pain scores, there is a level where you're, you know, you need to know that you probably have to intervene. Is that four in the, the grim scale? Exactly. So we, 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 as I mentioned, we use some really rigorous statistical methods. It's called the receiver, the receiver operating characteristics. <laughs> and then you can plot the specificity and sensitivity of the scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something comes up and you come up with this magical number. Uh, and then from zero to 10, there's the four that is kind of what we call the cutoff for rescue analgesia. And then you're gonna say, I'm very used, I'm very experienced with cats, you know, I know my stuff, I don't need this, this, this feline grooms scale stuff that you're talking about. Usually what we see is that people are very good in differentiating severe pain, yes. you know, those cats that are extremely painful, yeah, it's clear. And those that are not painful at all, but there is a gray zone there that that's when we find that uh, a pain scoring system like the feline grimace scale is going to be very useful. I've been working for many years with cats and that are still patients that I look at it and say, what, what the hell is going on here? Are, are they painful or just being cats or are they stressed out or what's going on? Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I hear that from veterinarians too, right? And they'll say, well, you know, I can tell when, when a cat's in pain and, and they're not wrong, they can, but we're missing that whole kind of middle group, right? Who, who are, are, are painful, but not as overtly painful as, as more severe cases. And so it's, you know, it's time to uh, up our game, right? And, and uh, make sure we address those guys who, who are in that kind of gray zone, as you say. And the tool is great because anybody anywhere can use it, right? You don't have to measure heart rate, you don't have to measure blood pressure, doesn't require any equipment. Um, it's, it's quite quick to learn, like you very quickly get the hang of it. We incorporated um, the faces on our uh, back of our anesthesia monitoring sheet 
Um, so it just, it leads right into our post-op and our continued monitoring. And I mean, it's easy to incorporate. So boy, I think it's a huge advance. Very happy. Exactly. And, and, the, and the goal is to continue with what you're saying, like what we call a, a knowledge translation. It's how to get this tool out there. So the website is an effort for that. And we have a bunch of stuff coming out in 2021 that we'll make sure that we have this tool right in the hands of veterinarians out in the field. Yeah. Yeah, we'll publish some of the information that you give us uh, in our show notes. So uh, Dr. Susan Lowe always does a really good job there. And uh, so if you have a, is, is the article available uh, freely online or do you have to be, okay. So we'll put a link to the article there too. And, and, and while we're talking about pain, one probably of the most common causes for pain in cats, and probably one of the most obscure causes of pain in cats is dental pain. So let's switch over to dental pain where we can, of course, use the same grimace scale. Uh, if you get a cat in that is painful uh, uh, and it's caused by dental pain. So talk about a little bit about your research there, Paolo. No, that's, that's great. That's another topic that I've been passionate about um, as much, uh, I'm very grateful to Zoetis for all the sponsorship that they provided for the feline grooms scale. I'm also very grateful to Hills for supporting our uh, research with the dental pain cats. Uh, the whole story started as me sitting in the Wasava Dental Standardization Committee, Yola. Uh, basically, I went to look at, I was like, all right, write something for anesthesia and pain management of these patients. And, you know, I do them on a daily basis on clinics. I kind of know my protocols and all that, but let me go back to the literature and find out what's going on. And there's almost nothing <laughs> for dental pain. Yes, you do a local block and you see that if it works and if you decrease inhalant requirements, but almost nothing back there. So, um, and then we, we decided to come up with there, there was a Japanese PhD student involved in this research, uh, Ryota Watanabe. And, and then we basically decided to look into the whole thing about what are the behaviors, uh, what are the analgesic requirements, the pain scores, how long are they painful uh, for after dental extractions, how long do we need to give analgesics for, how does it affect uh, uh, food intake and also their feeding behaviors. And in the results, we got three and also how to, if I, we could use the feline Grimms scale for these types of pain. Um, and the results are fascinating. I'm really proud of what we have uh, accomplished here in the past four years, because some of the cats, we used to do dental extractions and send them home at the end of the day. Mm. And in our studies, some of the cats, they required analgesic administration 72 hours after the procedure <laughs> and wow. you know opioids and in some of the scats he would go home and you would give a dose of uh, an opioid hydromorphone and you say he's going to be better tomorrow and he would come back and he was like all squinting their eyes and all those facial expressions of pain that we discussed with the feline grimace scale and and then throughout and we hospitalized the scats for a full week and they were shelter animals so we we could do that and we were filming them uh, for a full week. So at the end of the study, we had 36 hours um, of videos that we evaluated duration and frequency of different types of behaviors with uh, the behaviorist here, Dr. Diane Frank. 
uh, Frank. And, and then basically, it, it was amazing. We we detected a bunch of pain behaviors. So, for example, they have the pain, cats with the oral pain or after dental extractions. They have difficulty uh, grasping food. They they will do some head shake much more often than the ones that are not painful. They tend to spend to spend much more time in the back of the cages. They're not interested in playing. They look at the toy. It's interesting. They were kind of like, I wish I could play, but they can't. So it, it has been a really nice uh, work that we've done together. And, um, and I've been very excited about it. I feel that we have some decent information now about dental, multiple dental extractions in cats and, and how painful it is. That, that's very cool. It's a big impact for cats too, because I think... Uh, any practice that sees a lot of cats, um, and of course mine see only cats, but feline dentistry is a big part of a small animal practice. Um, I don't know how nature designed cats with teeth that get into trouble so easily, but <laughs> that's the way it is. So, um, and, that, and there's that struggle, right, to provide the, the best quality analgesia for them. And a lot of the other pain scales um, we were using one up until the feline grimace scale where you had to like palpate a wound. Well, you can't do that for oral pain, right? So that a lot of the pain scales that were really devised around space, because a lot of them were, right? They were very specifically devised around space. They don't translate well, whereas the grimace scale, it's going to translate. Yeah, and we actually, there is an article now published. It's all open access, the stuff yep. that we do for the feline grimace scale. So people can just uh, go and access and, and there are videos sometimes uh, uh, attached to it. Um, and, and we validated and basically the feline grim scale is a reliable tool for also cats undergoing uh, dental extractions. Mm. So you should see the changes that you see in other types of pain also with, uh, for the feline, with the feline grim scale, but also for dental pain. So, and what we noticed, what was very interesting that sometimes they, they have a lot of edema around the mouth that yeah. you could see, you know, kind of the muzzle changes and the whiskers changes. And we thought that it wouldn't be that reliable, but the results in the end were pretty good. That's amazing. Um, I, I, you know, speaking from experience, dental pain can be some of the worst pain, right, that, that you can have. I mean, a lot of people have had, have had dental pain for various reasons. And it's just, you don't want to wish it on your worst enemy, right? So you can only imagine how these, how these guys feel. Right, Yola's been through a lot of dental stuff like me, right? So I, I just want to say let's let's talk about our dental phobia together now. But uh, no, it's true. <laughs> so if if you have an extraction, I've had, had extractions. If if you would touch me the next morning, I will hit you. You know, <laughs> and I can't even imagine that people would think of okay, we only do analgesia for twelve hours, and then the cats will be fine. Mm -hmm. I think, but with, with with surgery in general, I think people underestimate how important proper analgesia post-operatively is uh, in general. But this is just ripping a tooth out of a bone socket, you know. It is exactly. primary bone pain that we're talking about. And as if that disappears in, in 12 hours is too ridiculous for words. So I'm really happy that you did that research and that you that you were able to 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 see the changes. Because once again, there's not that many people that evaluate cats for these kind of things. So it's important to have that information. And it's also good to know that you had, you were able to test 
and validate once again your grammar scale on these cats. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would I would imagine that I would grimace after I had a tooth pulled. Too. <laughs> you know? and, and, and why do we take so lightly? Why do you think it's so it's our right to do a full mouth extractions and and not to go into the tail and talk about you know feline gingival stomatitis that leaving out of those ulcers, <laughs> open ulcers, bleeding ulcers every day of your life? Can you imagine all that? So this is a huge feline. A welfare problem that we need to tackle as a profession. It yeah. really is. And, and I'd just like to pick up on something that Yola said. Um, it's the, uh, as, we're, as veterinarians are getting better in providing analgesia for cats, I think we still tend to underestimate how long they need it for after a procedure. So, you know, I see veterinarians uh, uh, having better uptake on multimodal protocols and, you know, some take-home analgesia, but I still don't, at often as often as I would like, see them extending it out past a day or two, right? So, you know, um, some of these cats with major dentistry surgeries, they're going to need analgesia, like, you know, you, you've, you've seen them have pain for many hours afterwards. I, you know, I think we need to send them home with several days. You know, it's better that the owner has it and can use it if needed in, in those last few days than to just have nothing. So the duration, I think, is still an issue. And it's still an issue for feline medicine in general, right? What are our options for long-term analgesia? Yeah. You know, and then it goes back to how are you going to be peeling this cat after dental extractions, and how fun this is going to be for the owner, right? And and yeah. what, what does it what does work? You know, like uh, are we talking about tramadol? Like good luck, <laughs> GABA painting. You know, what's the evidence and all that? So it, we're still in a very tricky place in terms of long-term analgesic management. And these cats, just to highlight, they were taking non-steroidals for three days. Yeah. So it's not that they they got dental blocks during the procedure. They got an opioid for pre-medication. So we were already using the best of our protocols. Yeah, yeah. I think like the the transmucosal opioids were definitely a, a move forward there, right? Because you you know you don't have to so much pill the cat as long as you kind of get it in there. Um, you're going to get it get some absorption. Um, and I think that was a big leap forward. So we need more out of the box thinking like that, right? We need to think of other ways to get these meds into painful cats. And I also think that, that you know, there, we can also reflect what human dentists do. Mm. You know, if they do any procedure in your mouth, they give you a local block. Right. And so you would not have anything done your, to your teeth, although the cats are anesthetized without a local block. And also it takes a long time for that block to wear out and then the real pain starts but uh, you know uh, and and there's very few uh veterinarians right now that will give local blocks to dogs and cats for dental procedures only the veterinary dentists do it and so i think there's a there's a mindset that we need to change that local anesthesia should be in almost any protocol that you do for surgical or for dental uh procedures Absolutely. And I'll, I'll take the advantage again here to invite everyone to, again, visit the Feline Grimace Scale website, felinegrimacescale.com. And there's a, a place there that is called More of Our Work that you have. You can watch all these uh, YouTube videos on dental blocks 
on all these local anesthetic techniques that we've been discussing here. They're all there for you to learn how to do it uh, with the description of the technique, the materials that you need, the volumes and all that. So I agree with you. This is a major problem that we need to tackle. We need to improve our, our pain management education in general, including these this techniques. Yeah, that's a, that's a great resource, Pablo, because um, I've talked to many veterinarians about doing that and they'll say, well, yes, but I don't know how to do it. Like I don't, there's nobody in my practice who does, there's nobody who can teach me. So sometimes the roadblock is just access to the education, right, on how to do it. Um, and sometimes we can get people over that, over that hump of just, just give it a try. Like you don't have to have somebody by your shoulder uh, always, if you can, great, but if you can't give it a try, and so having um, very practical videos like that, you know, this is what you need, this is how much, this is how you do it, um, just might get, you know, push them to that point where they say, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try, even though I don't have a mentor to show me. Right, yeah, people, they, they perform surgery, so why don't they, they can try local blocks, yeah. Yeah. Very yes. Good. It's a, it's, it's a little soapbox that I've been standing on for many, many years, but uh, it won't be solved very quickly. But the more tools we have and the more information about those tools, the better it is. And, and, and there's also this notion that people feel that cats have less pain than, than other animals, which is also ridiculous. So it's, of course, they have pain. And maybe they don't show it because they run into the, cu uh, the cupboard and stay there for four days that doesn't mean that they're not painful. As a matter of fact, it probably means that they are painful and they want, don't want anything to do with you because you're the cause of that pain. So, so people, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a great end of this podcast to think a little bit about what you inflict mm. as a surgeon. So, okay, Paolo, this has been great. Uh, you know, this once again is the per podcast. Uh, if you like what we're doing, uh, please, uh, Give us a great review on, uh, on, on social media at Per Podcast. But you can also go to our website, which is perpodcast.net. And, uh, you know, we have lots of information there. We'll do uh, in the show notes. Dr. Susan will uh, put all the links, uh, especially to the amazing website that you mentioned already three times, which is, Paolo... <laughs> www.flyinggrimscale.com perfect and uh, <laughs> and i'm so so happy that you were on this podcast and i apologize that we had to wait 93 episodes to get you on oh we'll have to get you back paulo because there's so much we haven't even touched on like chronic pain management which is another one of i think both yola and i have that as a soapbox too so mm -hmm. and i know you do so, yeah. we'll so this has been awesome thank you paulo thank, thank you. you so much thank you for having me guys it was great thank you Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at 
cat, pet, Susan. Dr. Yurl Kerpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 